morning, crypto. Good morning, warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got my friend, the Italian stallion, Mr. Johnny Crypto. Mario, he's not feeling well, so sending love and high vibes to my friend Mario. And Jackie, the crypto juggernaut, is joining us this morning, so I'm very excited for today's show. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we'll be discussing how Ripple has been issued a payment license from the Central Bank of Singapore. As the IMF is expanding its global influence, working with three new countries on CBDC development. Fed Chair Jerome Powell states it appears that crypto is here to stay while announcing that the Federal Reserve reviews stablecoins as a new form of money. Ethereum's ICO is becoming more dangerous by the day, with new documents revealing dark ties between Consensus Foundation and nearly eight federal agencies. And with the banking system undergoing the digital transformation of a lifetime, we break down the details, showing our community how central banks are creating the greatest opportunity of our era. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube, Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Johnny Crypto, the breaking news from today is that Ripple's been issued a license out of Singapore. We're going to tie the IMF into these new documents. So I'm very excited for today's show. How you feeling, my friend? Thanks for being here. Big news apps, feeling great. Good morning to all the Warrior Maniacs out there. Love and appreciate you guys for showing up every single day. And Mario, hopefully you're feeling well, brother. Sending you love and high vibrations. And Jackie, it's so great to see you, Jackie. Good morning. Absolutely, guys. We got Jackie joining us as well. Jackie, I'm very excited for today's show because not only is all this news positive, the markets are performing very well. We got Bitcoin testing 30,000, XRP looking pretty great. So how are you feeling this morning before we dive into that? Feeling great, Abs. I was just thinking, actually, dude, you're screwed. Like with the repetitiveness of you doing that, uh, that introduction, like AI has your voice down pat, like you're done for. So anybody, if Abs is calling you up, like saying, hey, <laughs> I can invest your money for you. Do not, do not trust. <laughs> Jackie, th this is the thing you're not telling our listeners. I am AI though. So with that being said, we're going to start this show <laughs> off the same way. We always do by showing you my Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That's at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. Uh, we're at almost 4,600 followers. Go smash that follow button. We love talking to you. Sorry, I got stuck on that other page there. The Bitcoin Fear and Greed Index is sitting at a 65 this morning, Johnny. Climbing significantly this week. As last week, we were at a 41. So it's pretty interesting here. When we look at some of the daily movers, it is green across the board. Pepe is up 28%. KAS up 12%. We've got Mina. Uh, Johnny, I got to stay muted because the echo. Sorry, that's my fault because the mic. When we check out the total coin market cap this morning, we are sitting at 1.16 trillion in total market cap. Bitcoin is 49% dominance. Ethereum is about 19%. We've got Bitcoin sitting at 29,800. Ethereum, 1,800. XRP is 49 cents. And we look at Cardano climbing a little bit this morning, sitting at 29. And guys, we got 193 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Johnny, with all the breaking news coming out about the market performing well, central banks are getting back in crypto. They're beginning to move into the space. The price charts are looking better than ever. But I wanted to start this show with a little video of John Deaton describing uh, basically a year ago at this point how all of this was going to come to fruition and how at the end of the day, big banks will back cryptocurrency. And what I think what's happening is that cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin, it's one of the few times in history where the individual kind of front run the, the industry, if you right. will, and the hedge funds. And personally, I think the Gensler's attack on crypto is to allow the hedge funds and the Wall Streeters to come in, crash the market, 
they come in and then by the way they, they do that with Johnny, that was right when FTX happened. So think about this, guys. John Deaton was telling you they're collapsing the market so the institutions can come in at cheaper prices. Little did we know that was only beginning with the FTX collapse. We saw several other institutions go under. We're going to be talking a lot about that today. So, Johnny, with that being said, all of these banks are getting excited about crypto. The IMF working with Singapore, working with Korea. What's on your mind before we get into the content? It wasn't just John Deaton that told them that. We said it too. We said it on this show that they were slowing everything down so the big boys could get their hands and wrap it around everything. And lo and behold, what's happening? <laughs> NASDAQ's coming in. Fidelity's coming in. BlackRock's coming in. Citadel's coming in. Charles Schwab coming in. Everybody's coming in. They're all coming in. Abs. There was no doubt about it. This is going to be what we call the, the 12th sector of the economy and abs. I totally agree with Ken here. There is no way AI can have as good of hair as you have there. But this is just an exciting time because we we we've been we knew this was gonna happen and we knew it was coming. We've all been patient. We've been in this space. We said we're in early. It feels late. Don't worry about all that. Just sit tight. Hold on to your bags. If you got footed out in the past year or two, sorry to hear that. Hopefully you didn't get completely footed out because the good times, you're not here yet, Abs. But the Pieces are being put in place. The ships are being moved in the right position. And sooner or later, oh, baby, they're going to launch that freaking that rocket to the moon. And it's going to be exciting. Absolutely, Johnny. And I want to remind our listeners, yesterday we interviewed Mark Yusko. And for the first time ever, guys like Mark Yusko are coming out and saying that XRP does not look like a security in their opinion. Well, little did we know just a day later, or as we were doing that interview, actually, Jerome Powell is going to come out in support of cryptocurrency, stating it appears to have staying power. So we're going to play this brief clip and go back to Johnny and Jackie. Here we go. Crypto and digital assets in the U.S. has got a you know market cap of around $1.1 trillion right now. Uh, it's been there for a bit. Do you acknowledge that this asset class has staying power in the U.S. economy? It appears to have some staying power. Of course, that one two point one trillion was what was that a, a year ago? A lot higher. Yeah, yeah, it's had some volatility uh, in large measure due to the lack of legal clarity, and so hopefully this committee will will help that quite a lot here uh, this summer uh, with with at least two bills, one on stable coins and one on market structure, and it'll be clear uh, not just for Congress but for regulators, including Chairman Gensler. So we'll talk about that later in the episode about these new Congress, these new bills that Congress is trying to pass involving crypto. There were two big statements Jerome Powell made yesterday, Johnny. The first one is this one. Crypto appears to have staying power as an asset class. It's not a big statement, guys. We're in 2023 here. We're over a trillion dollars, even in a bear market. No big statements from Jerome Powell. Hey, absolutely. You know what? He wasn't too happy about it. Rather than kind of acknowledging it, did you see what he did? He's like, well, yeah, but it was much higher way before. Yeah, yeah. Like, like kind of like bashing it. Like, oh, it's really not. You know, it was three trillion. Now it's only as one. if Operation Choke Point didn't play anything. In I was just gonna say <laughs> he was kind of like, you know, I like, I like when he goes, "Well, yeah, it seems to have staying power." And in his mind, he's saying, "After we tried to kill it, this thing is still around. <laughs> it does have some staying power for sure." Oh, sorry, absolutely, Johnny. And the second thing that caught my attention was the fact that they admitted stable coins appear to be a new form of money, and we're gonna see institutions around the world come out with CBDC articles. We have Fidelity. BlackRock, Citibank, JP Morgan, all coming out with either crypto, blockchain, or central bank digital currency articles in this week alone. And Johnny, Johnny, crypto CBDC good is the narrative for sure. When we look at the consensus ties to the SEC, this is something I think everyone's going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks. 
uh, digital asset investor did some fantastic research. He found an article from 2018 with Joseph Lubin. I'm going to read a couple of statements here, and then I'm going to show you some documents about how consensus was paying off federal agencies. He said, we, we should be concerned that we might be selling an unregistered security to Americans, said Joseph Lubin. It was an exercise in semantics with vital legal implications. I, real, I realized that we had an opportunity to tell people what this is, and there was a good chance that they were going to accept it by our understanding that we create reality that way. It seems to have worked. We seem to have created a reality, and language is consensus. They defined Ethereum as crypto fuel, which one needs to run programs and store data on the Ethereum network. So before I show you the ties to the federal agencies, Johnny, he stated it. He just said, we should be concerned that we're selling an unregistered security. How do you feel about these statements from Joseph Lubin? Well, do we know if this is real? Like, is this an email from him? Like, how No, this is-, is from a public article in 2018. This is 100% real. Oh, wow, dude. That's, a, that's, that's, <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, you know, this just goes to show you these guys know what they're doing. They know what's happening, but they got the right... You know, and, and and maybe that is why. Who knows? Maybe that's one of the reasons why they said, "Hey, Hinman, we need you to come out and kind of give us some clarity here because we know it's the other way, right?" And you come and say this, then it's a whole different ballgame. I mean, now it really that really starts to paint the picture of maybe why we started to see, you know, Hinman. You know, remember what what Deaton was it Deaton or Jessica who we had on the show and he said, "Oh yeah, it was Deaton." Deaton's like. Hinman didn't have to come out and say Ethereum. He could have just said crypto in general, but he specifically said Ethereum, you know, for the 15 million reasons that we all know why. But this might have been behind it. There were a lot of people sitting with their bags packed, ready to make a lot of money off of Ethereum, if that were true. And Johnny, this is what everyone should be aware of, guys. So we got 272 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And look at these latest articles. I want to give a shout out to Mr. Huber here. Always does amazing research. This guy in Cowboy Crypto are two of the smartest people in our community. So he looked up how they have been uh, lobbying federal agencies. And the only company or agency that came up on this list for Ripple was the Commodity Futures and Trading Commission, which is, of course, the CFTC. Let's look at the exact same profile for the Consensus Software Network, which is obviously uh, an extension of Ethereum. They've got the CFTC on here, the Federal Deposit of Insurance, the Federal Reserve System, the Federal Trade Commission, the Financial Crimes and Enforcement Network, the Securities and Exchange Commission, and even the White House is at the bottom of this list. Now, if I could find more information about exactly how much they contributed, I would love to bring that to our listeners. But Johnny, we've been talking about throughout the week. This is what we've been waiting for. The admission here, not only that Ethereum was... They went to the Ethereum Foundation and asked them what it was, but they were being paid by the same people they were asking, how should we create these rules? That's not a conflict of interest. I don't know what it is. Let's start with you. You know, this kind of stuff is frustrating because we can call it out. We see it all happening. We see the connections and then nothing nothing ever happens. But I think at the end of the day, you got to look for companies that have these kinds of connections because essentially – that's what's going to drive the industry. You know, we talked about it's not what you know, it's who you know. And, you know, who stands to gain and what are the background agendas and all that stuff. And, you know, just look at the big players. Look at who they're connected with and put your money on those on those scenarios because there's a high probability some of those are going to be what drives the future. I mean, that's all you got to say on this, my friend? Are you kidding me? The White House, the SEC, every single federal agency. I mean, 
what is there to say? You know that they're in bed with the biggest company in the world. You're missing the you're missing the most important one on the list. Do I have to say it? It missing JPM. They're like connected to the guys that drive everything. I mean, so I'm just not surprised by that. So that's why. I mean, what more can I say? I know that consensus is is tied in so deep with the big boys that anything consensus touches, you want to be a part of. You know, and the the sad thing is, I think consensus is developing onks or helping JPM or onks, and none of us can buy that. So it doesn't get me excited because I can't invest in it. I can't get connected to what they're doing. So I don't, you know, other than ETH, obviously, if you want to play in the ETH game, you know, which I, we all have, I think, a little bit of ETH. But to me, that's the problem, Abs, is how do you take advantage of that relationship they have when look at what consensus is doing? What are the, I mean, maybe XDC, but that's kind of on the out. So I, I don't know. It's hard to say how that whole thing plays in and how we can take advantage of it. And, you know, with the fruition of central bank digital currencies coming out around the world, we're going to draw some connections to XRP, Ripple, and the IMF. But we got 298 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And with the world turning digital in front of our eyes, we're seeing guys like Jerome Powell starting to endorse these new assets. And he even addressed the fact that, that the United States could be launching a central bank digital currency. This is the last clip I want to play of Jerome Powell before we get into our Ripple news. Here we go. Uh, relating to a central bank digital currency or any federal issued coin. We have seen how this administration and the last Congress wanted to require anyone who made more than $600 on a third party settlement organization like an eBay purchase has to report that to the IRS. The existing threshold before the law was modified was $20,000. That is how far this administration wants to peek behind the curtain of what my constituents are spending their money on. And $600 in Iowa doesn't go a long way. It's the equivalent of a PlayStation or paying for your kids dance classes. I'm a dad of six. I digress on this, but I do want to know specifically for my constituents back home, the thoughts of creating a central bank digital currency that tracks individuals. Uh, if the Fed were to offer a direct individual account to citizens, wouldn't this be a direct threat to the financial privacy of many Americans? Potentially. And that's why we would not, it's not something we support. We, we would not support you know, accounts at the Federal Reserve by individuals. That would not be. If we were to, and we're a long way from this, if we were to, you know, support at some point in the future a CBDC, it would be one that were in intermediated through the banking system and not directly at the Fed for exactly the reason you, you point out. I'm very happy to hear that. I think that's a good partnership with the individuals there and a respect for um, America. Johnny, I don't want to get an echo, so I got to be careful here with my microphone. Next week, I will be wearing a headset so I don't get the echo. But a couple of things stick out to me here. Jerome Powell obviously stating that the Fed is not going to issue a CBDC, but they're in the process of going digital. Fed now is going to be launched on July 1st. And for anybody who doesn't know, there are three banks working with the FedNow system that are also leveraging RippleNet. So that's where this Ripple versus SEC case comes into play, Johnny, because they won't, they won't act those RippleNet, I guess, partnerships until we get a ruling from this case, they don't want to be sued after the fact. They don't want to be accused of doing something when they're trying to act in good faith. So we got the Ripple SEC actually tying into the Federal Reserve here. What stuck out to you most about that video? Yeah, well, to me, the most important thing was the words he carefully chose as he was saying, you know, well, at some point, we don't want to be connectedly directed to the consumer. But at some point, if it should happen, he's basically telling you it's going to happen. The CBDC is coming. And they will be connected. What's interesting is he went out of his way to actually say it would be intermediary through another bank, which I'm not so sure how that would happen. The whole point of the CBDC is it'd be it'd be it would be um, what's the word offered by the central bank. <laughs> so I'm happy to hear them say they're going to have an intermediary in the middle, because I think 
If they don't, there's going to be a ton of pushback because of the privacy concerns. So abs, everybody should be happy. And that Senator actually said it too. He was happy to hear to say that, but the reality is they always tell you what you want to hear. So we'll have to see what's really executed. What really happens. I hope he's sincere about that. Cause if it's true, you know, we know the CBDC is coming abs. We can't stop it. Right. But let's hope there is an intermediary between those two. I think that's a very, very important statement and something that we want to keep an eye on. Absolutely, guys. And check out this latest update as two new crypto bills are underway in the United States. Federal Federal Chairman Jerome Powell expressed his perspective on the payment of stablecoins, saying we do see stablecoins as a form of money. And in all advanced economies, the ultimate source of credibility and money is the central bank. So think about that. He's stating that stablecoins get their value from the central bank. And we've talked about this before, Johnny. They're piggybacking off of the success of the dollar. The reason that Tether and USDC have value is because the dollar has value. So I do think if anything's a security, USDC and Tether could actually be a security of the Federal Reserve. How do you feel about that? Well, I'm not sure when you say security. Do you mean like a security, like an SEC definition of a security? I guess I would say that the reason those coins have value, it's driven by the Federal Reserve because the Federal Reserve is what gives the dollar value. That's correct. It seems like USDC is a security of the Federal Reserve indirectly. Security, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to confuse it with being a security that you'd sell, like on the stock market or what you know, the transaction pieces. So a security in that event is you know when you expect something to appreciate in value, and obviously, a, a stablecoin can't appreciate in value, so it would not be a security per the. But in terms of what you're saying, is what they're really doing, Abs, is they're riding the coattails of the U.S. dollar or of a currency, and they're using that as the premises are backing of the stable coins. So I think the point is, yes, they're, they're stealing, they're hijacking the U S dollar and they're saying, Hey, this thing's safe. Because now here's the deal, whether you agree with it or not, if they're backing that stable coin by 100% of U S dollars, then theoretically you could do that you could say hey this is backed by the u.s dollar you trust u.s dollar we got one-to-one ratio and protection of it and and it's there now the thing is it's not blessed by the u.s for example we know that what tether is owned by five guys in china or something right so so there's a danger there but if it was audited proper but i think that's all going to get pulled into the you know eventually that's what the stable coin regulation rules will be into place where where who can hold it where is it held? How is it audited? All that stuff needs to be put out, Abs, or it makes for a very, very dangerous stablecoin. But but I'm curious. We haven't heard from Jackie. I'm curious if Jackie has any comments on, on this one. I, I've honestly been trying to keep up. I, you guys switched to these topics like mad. I haven't been on here for a while. We're quick and we move. <laughs> I'm, seriously, I'm like listening and learning just along with you guys. But I will say, um, I will say, like, I think you know, that's always been the plan. I don't think they wanted to deviate from, from central banks being the intermediary. And we've been talking about that from the beginning. Um, Wells Fargo wants to stay, stay in the game, you know, uh, JP Morgan Chase, they want to stay in the game. So that I think that they, you know, they already have the ties to the central government or whoever, um, you know, is at the head, but, and they want to keep those ties. And so, you know, Coach JV has been talking about that for the longest time. Wells Fargo connected with R3, like all of these, all of these um, big time central banks, you know, they're going to stick around and they want, um, someone had made a comment in here, you know, they want a piece of the pie. They're, and they're charging or they're, 
I can't remember what he said. There was a comment earlier, but yeah, it's just wild. The, the amount of, um, I'm blanking on what I'm saying, but yes, I will say that that was kind of the plan from the beginning. Keep the financial structure the way it's always been. Thank you, Jackie. And I do want to discuss a little XRP price chart here because with all the news coming out this morning, the XRP weekly price chart is looking as great as it's ever looked. And this speaks for itself, Johnny. Look at the cup being formed here. The road or staircase to success is what they're calling this. Couple key levels to look for 68 cents, 89 cents, $1.73. And then, of course, right around $3 for that all time high. But here's the breaking news out of Ripple this morning. And this gets me really excited, guys, because I think we could soon see many other countries follow this lead from Singapore. Ripple gets an in principle nod from digital asset services in Singapore. Ripple says that the in principle approval will help scale its on demand liquidity service that uses XRP as liquidity for its customers. Ripple confirmed the approval from the Monetary Authority of Singapore in a June 22nd statement. The approval will allow its subsidiary, Ripple Markets Asia Pacific, to further scale on its on-demand liquidity service. The ODL helps Ripple customers to move XRP around the world without having banks intervening as intermediaries. So, Johnny, this is the exact opposite of what Jerome Powell was saying. I want to dive into the details, but let's start there. Let's go, baby. This is, this is big news, right? <laughs> now, obviously, we know it's funny because my cousin cousin uses this program called fiat leak and uh, he's been tracking you know who's been buying xrp and it's been a shit ton of purchases in singapore and maybe you know maybe this was the reason who knows but we know that there's some big big news so singapore loves xrp japan loves xrp asia loves xrp for heaven's sake you're gonna see i think you know a big startup or push for it in asia and then eventually you know i think land somewhere here in the u.s once we finally get the clarity in the U.S. that it needs when, when we get there, abs is like it's almost like they're clearing the roads, right? <laughs> so Ripple could just be ready to to skyrocket. I ain't gonna lie to you though, the eighty nine cents, sixty three cents, dollar thirty two, none of that gets me excited. Ripple. I'm not I'm not in Ripple for those. I'm not an XRP for those prices. I'm looking for much much higher. But go ahead, Jackie. Before you oh, I was just gonna ask real quick. You know, a lot of people ask me why why they started in Asia. You know, every every big. Um, Crypto kind of has their tie, right? Like AD, ADA started off in Africa. We saw a ton of, um, we saw a ton of ties over on like in the Asian continent for XRP. Why do you guys think that they started there? It's well, really I can ask that question. So I won't. I'm, maybe our viewers are interested as well. No, I think it's a fair question. We've talked about that in the past. We know that for the most part, you know, it's much easier. The, 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 the regulatory rules were always unclear in the U.S. And obviously, I think some of these companies were fearful of being classified as security. That's why Cardano went and did it outside of the U.S. when they did uh, their offerings. And I, I think that's part of the reason. What, or one of the reasons would be it's easier to start it up and do it out there. Um, we also noticed a lot of unbanked people out in, like, for example, in Africa and in those areas. Yeah. So, you know, in that area, also in Asia as well. So I think, you know, there's multiple reasons. But those those would be some of what I would guess would be some of the, the main reasons why you would start something there and then bring it in later to avoid that. But Abs, I'm curious if you have any other thoughts. Right. Yes, absolutely, guys. Jackie, you're on mute. Uh, I'm not sure if you're trying to say something. I said that's why, I mean, that's what I thought was, like that was my initial answer to most people is because of the unbanked. That's, you know, they're tying people in. Obviously, that's what Cardano was doing in Africa because of the unbanked and, and the same too is with like Ripple, but Asia being 
the most populated and probably because of being most populated has the most unbanked people. You know, that was smart on Ripple's choice. Anyway, sorry for the tangent. I just want to throw that out there. I think you make a great point, Jackie, and we're seeing a massive shift out of the West right now because while everyone in uh, while everyone in America is debating this technology, adoption has begun in Korea, Italy, and Singapore. And of course, Ripple just received a license in one of those locations. We got 357 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And the title of today's episode was the XRP and IMF confirmed. Here we go, guys. We're going to try to draw those ties right now. So Singapore teams up with Korea, Italy, and the IMF on a CBDC operating model. The recent white paper looks at the possible business and operating models, as well as outlining how a purpose-bound money would work. What is a purpose-bound money, Johnny? That's exactly what these documents break down. The MAS released a new report on digital money in a partnership with the Bank of Italy, Bank of Korea, and the IMF. The paper outlines the purpose of of PPM, which is purpose-bound money. This means that money can be programmed to use for a specific purpose without programming it directly. The research seeks to ensure that the programmability does not come at the expense of digital money's ability to serve as a medium of exchange. They have two key components, the wrap and the store of value. The wrapper, which would be implemented in a form of a smart contract code, specifies the conditions upon which the underlying money could be used. And then, of course, you got the store of value, which is the digital asset itself. The, B, the PBM can be programmed to release and transfer the digital currency when specific conditions are fulfilled. And the last thing I want to read right here is the PBM would also ensure privacy for its users. That I can speculate about. But Johnny, let's start with you. I mean, it really sounds like the elements of a CBDC. If, if, if You can't literally define a lot of those different things there. And you're going to see, Abs, a lot of these tests happening between nations from nation and, and you know country to country, trying to figure out how do we implement this technology? How is it going to work? We are in the beginning of something freaking huge, huge undertaking. And that's why I've been saying this is going to take years before this thing gets implemented and, and up, you know, upright. And, and it's going to be a bunch of different silos of different systems because you've got 200 different countries working on their own solution. You see, nobody's working on the same. It's not like they're all using the same solution. They're using PBMs. I was trying to sign out. There's all these different things, all these different tests, and countries and nations are going to choose on what they think works. And then eventually, hopefully at some point, this will all consolidate. And this is why, to me, the most exciting thing of all these technologies still goes back to quant. Something has to bring all these things together so they can all communicate. And to me, you got to look at the multiple layers that are going to drive and stack up to run the system. And for me, I think quant is going to be a very big player here, not to go off topic, but certainly that I think is to me, going to be the most, the biggest problem that's going to need to be solved once you've got these silos of all of these different CBDC systems or PVM systems running in the background. How are they going to talk to each other? That's going to be the challenge. Follow-up question I have for you here, Johnny. With the, with the breaking news out of Singapore, what catches my attention is on the exact same day Ripple is given a license. And what's very interesting about this model that they're conceptualizing is they're trying to integrate this model with central banks Ripple's model specifically does the opposite. It removes banks from the system in order to create more flow of liquidity. So is there a connection here, Johnny Crypto? What do you think? The IMF, they've already stated that they love Ripple's technology. Is it a coincidence that they're working with Singapore the day Ripple gets a license? No, I mean, come on. There's no assisting. <laughs> There's not really too many coincidences here, Abs. There's just no doubt that these things are all planned. 
This is the kind of stuff as an XRP holder you want to see happening. You want to see the technology being adopted, being well, not adopted yet, but I mean, you want to see, you want to see it being tested. We're in the, you know, let's talk about from an adoption perspective. We're in the then they test you stage, right? So we're, they're testing technologies. They're trying to figure out what works, where the bugs are, how do we want to implement this thing? How is it going to work cross country, cross border, in country, out of country? All that stuff needs to be figured out. And dude, this stuff takes time. And so the reality is as they're working on this stuff and they're trying to figure it out, the good news is that you're seeing, yeah, SBI, by the way, we know from Japan is like a, a huge, huge, huge adopter of, of uh, Ripple. And we know that they've been pushing it. They've already said that, you know, all of Japan would use Ripple. So again, we have to see how far that actually goes. But to me, Abs, I totally see Ripple working the ODL into these systems as best they can to be able to, you know, to get that liquidity, that liquidity working or that liquidity tool working. Absolutely, guys. And we got 383 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Johnny, I don't know what the heck happened there. Did you see that? They removed my screen for a second. But yeah, this- that's why <laughs> That's why I switched it. This is what's so interesting. Brad Garlinghouse and Stuart Alderati also came out and made statements. And there was a there was a conversation I'd like to circle back to right now, Johnny. I asked you this question earlier. Three banks are using RippleNet that are also set up and licensed to use the FedNow service. The reason that's important is because we are going to need a ruling before those banks activate the RippleNet services to be compatible with FedNow. Question I have for you is, what do you think? Are we going to get a ruling anytime soon? I watched a couple of videos this morning, July 4th, July 1st. I'd like to hear what you're thinking. I'll give my two cents. No, I don't think we're going to, I don't think we're going to get a ruling before that. I don't think the Fed now is reliant on Ripple. We know that it's not a, it's not a cryptocurrency based technology. So I don't, I don't think we're going to get it. I don't think we need it, but it doesn't mean that the partnerships and working in the background aren't working. And, you know, at some point, you know, Mark talked about yesterday, all Fed now is, is we're moving from T2 to T1 speeds. Um, so they're moving in the right direction. But I totally don't see uh, us getting ruling before then because of that. I'm not personally thinking that. Would I love that? That'd be great. But I'm not I'm not sure it hinders on that. That, that would not be something I would expect, to be honest with you. Well, what do you think about the massive acquisitions we're seeing right now? Ripple is continuing to expand their reach with all these different partnership and companies. And while the IMF is working with other countries on developing CBDCs, they're privately working with Ripple behind the scenes. And they've acknowledged this several times before. You're going to love this document I found, Johnny, because Ripple and Stellar were mentioned as potential suitors for CBDCs by the IMF in March of 2023. And I have a document here. I can read this short paragraph, but I'm going to save our listeners the time. They outline the use cases for Stellar and Ripple, they put them in separate categories, but state both of them could be used in CBDC models. Now, there is one more important thing. When they talk about Stellar, they often focus on the tokenization of assets. And when they talk about Ripple, they talk about the transfer of value. So I thought that was important to know. What do you think, Johnny? Those connections are huge. Yeah, no, huge, tremendous. And I, you know, to me, it's one of those things where both those technologies are very similar, but they're going to try, I think what they're going to do is go up to two different markets. And, you know, coaches always talked about that too. That XRP would be like the 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 bank to bank coin, if you will, and, and I don't mean it necessarily in that sense, but the rails, right? And then you would see XLM as the bank to people coin, and that would make sense, tokenization of everything. So to me, both of those are the reason why I'm heavily invested in both of those. Both of those horses; those are actually two of my biggest horses in my stable. As not to give away the portfolio, but I certainly love those two. 
and and they're ones that I am looking at for the future to see how they carry away. And XLM's kind of been just flopping around around that eight cents and not really. It's been a great buying opportunity to be honest with you. Hasn't done much, but don't be surprised at one point when they just like bring that bad boy alive and like holy cow, now it starts to take off because it can be like you said. If it tokenizes everything, oh my god, that's a much bigger space than what XRP can do. So the upside, I think, on XLM could be just as high, if not higher, than XRP. Absolutely, Johnny. And if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, there were representatives from the Stellar organization in Washington working on development. But guys, we got 382 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. I want to get the comment section involved. If you think we go above a dollar after this lawsuit, put a one in the live chat. If you think we stay below a dollar, put a two in the live chat. And guys, when we look at the XRP price chart, we often say, show me the chart. I'll tell you the news. And this price chart looks extremely optimistic. Look at the weekly price chart here, Johnny. If we do get a breakout, there's almost no resistance. Clear breakouts are headed for this market. And when we see these flood of liquidity backing with companies like JP Morgan, BlackRock, Citadel, all these billion trillion dollar institutions coming in, that's what gets me really excited. But let's, <clears throat> let's decide on what we should talk about next year, Johnny, because there was Before a lot do of that. While you're doing that, pull up that chart again, because I do have a comment on it. Looking yeah. at the chart, and Jackie's a chart expert, so I like Jackie's opinion too. But yeah. when I look at that chart that you just had, you're skipping XRP's charts too quickly. Yeah, bring <laughs> it up. In. <laughs> to me, I mean, Jackie, I don't, you're more of a chart expert than me, but don't you see some resistance like around a dollar 20 ish? It looks like there's some. There's some resistance in that dollar ten dollar twenty zone. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a huge that's a huge resistance zone for us. <laughs> that's um, huge, right? Yeah, I would say. Uh, I mean, if you look at the chat, a lot of people are smart in our chat. You know, we don't think that we're going above a dollar. I would say that too. I don't think that you know anything's going to push this above a dollar. Um, I think it's it's just going to be pure hype. Um, sitting on our call, Gonzo and I uh, go over this chart all the time on our calls within the academy. But yeah, we have essentially we have to get past that seventy cent zone before we see anything um, big rip upwards. So you have that. Um, if you pull a Fibonacci retracement on that, you have the golden pocket area that comes after that. So that is where you know that's where we're looking to head towards. But watch that seventy cent area, guys. Jackie, do you know what that golden for our listeners? Do you know what that golden pocket area is, or or, or do you have any? If you I do, see Gonzo in the chat. If you can throw that out, Gonzo. Yeah, Gonzo no, he probably chart. has. That. I don't know if we have time. <clears throat> you can keep talking. I'll pull up my chart in the back. <laughs> Johnny, another interesting connection here is that the XRP price chart appears to be coiled up more than it's ever been before. And while I pull this up in the background, we've often discussed how XRP sitting below a dollar is due to hyper suppression not just from the lawsuit, not just from the lack of use case. But when we talk about how countries around the world are yet to leverage RippleNet to its full effect, that's where the real price action comes in. And that's something I would like to focus on. But this is a document I found last night, and you're going to love this. I know it's a little bit small for our listeners. Look at this global think tank for Central Bank Payments Conference, which will be hosted in South Africa. We've got some of the biggest names in the world here. SWIFT is going to be attending. Visa is going to be attending. And of course, MasterCard and Ripple will be here. They're going to be considered primary partners for this event. And of course, Johnny, Africa is going to be the center when it comes to digital adoption because there's almost 2 billion people who are unbanked in that country. Guys, if you're enjoying this content, show us some love, smash that like button. And with that being said, I'm going to pull up that price chart. Yeah. And, and, and you know, that's a big news there, seeing those guys come together. You really, you know, what I really want to see, and I know it's not going to happen, but I'd love to see Ripple and Swift come together. The SWIFT's the current, you know, system in place that we know is going to be replaced. 
And there's one of two ways they're going to do it. They're either going to, you know, because they're obsolete. So they're either going to go and create their own system, or if they were smarter, they would partner with Ripple and adopt their system. I'm surprised it hasn't happened. But to me, that's that's something I would love to see happening. So we'll have to keep an eye on that conference and see if we hear any news coming out of Ripple and Swift coming together, especially if they're going to be in the same building. Johnny, I just love the fact that when we overlay this price chart on what happened in 2018, the yellow line is what happened right before our price explosion. This is what took us from about 20 cents or a fraction of a penny. I can't remember where this starts all the way up to $4. And when I look at the price chart here, they're almost identical. Like that is very, very interesting. There's no such thing as a coincidence, just an unrecognized pattern. And fortunately enough, we've recognized this one for our listeners. When we look at the price explosion that's coming, obviously it's going to come from the XRP case coming to a close, but we know the first thing people are going to say is utility is here. So I'd like for you to address that. Do you think we'll see utility implemented in 2023? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, will we start to hear like some tests going on a little bit here and there, one or two companies doing it? Yeah. But to me, <clears throat> utility is full base utility. When I, That's my definition. So it depends on how you're defining utility. If you count one or two offs. Yeah. Okay. We might see something, but that means nothing to me. I'm looking yeah, for. Yeah, sorry. Just one little quick input here, because when I say utility, it's interesting. I don't mean full implementation. I just mean it back in 2021, when all these prices were running, we saw the narrative that these projects were getting big banks. Partnerships were moving these markets and Jackie just left. But um, sorry, guys, we got 407 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. I lost my train of thought. Johnny, give me a second here. I'll get it back. I think you were asking me, um, you know, where, where this price could, you know, could be going. In. And I think, that, oh, you know, I got it. So. When we were talking about utility, that's what it was. So I remember back in 2021, before the SEC lawsuit, it was 2020, actually, there were two narratives, XRP utility outside of America and the IPO happening for Ripple on the NASDAQ. We know those narratives are the two exact things that are going to come to fruition after this XRP lawsuit. And that's what I want to focus on. The price is going to move on speculation alone. Buy the rumor, sell the news. We just saw it last week with the Hinman emails. But my question to you is, how long will it take before utility affects the market? Not full implementation, just the fact that the case is over. Now it's being used. How long until the price is affected? Well, go, go look at the historical charts of how the things happen. We, we put a chart on this show about nine months ago. We need to find that chart. What you see is speculation happens in the beginning first few years and is the highest. Then it drops down during the utility phase, and that can last years, years of before you then get the real price off a of utility. So, you know, I'm not personally excited about utility because people are, you know, it's not, it's not a huge driver. It's the speculation phase is that really when you look at the chart, and again, we have to pull that, we have to find that that technology deployment chart and, and then people understand what I'm saying. Because you would logically think that the speculation fare would be small and the utility would be large, but it's actually just the opposite. We saw that in the speculation stages could actually be higher profiting than the actual utility cases. So, you know, this is why you want to have, and I'm not trying to put a cheap plug in here, Abs, but this is why you want to have an exit plan because you got a chance to make more money in the speculation stages than you actually do through real utility until you get really there. Now, look at Amazon, for example. Right now, Amazon, you know, if you bought it at a dollar and then it went all the way up to $27, you made a 27x return. But then it went eventually up to 3000 but that was 20 years later. So my point is, when you're looking at technologies, there's two kind of phases of it. There's one in the beginning speculation where there's a huge, huge opportunity. Then it goes dry for a while until you get that real utility run. 
And I don't know what that's going to look like, but I'm just going to look at the historical charts and, you know, and say that it, that's why I'm saying it could be years before we truly really see very, very high prices for XRP and the rest of the market. But um, exactly. XRP duck is right. Utility doesn't cause spike in pricing. It causes stabilization because what happens when you're in the utility phase is people now know what it's worth. You understand? They understand what it's doing. They know what it's worth. And then it kind of sets in on a zone or a price of where it's worth or value is. But in the beginning, when you're speculating, there's no, you know, there's all these different prices. And at that point, speculation, it could go high or low, depending on what just the excitement, what narratives you're getting fed. If you're getting fed these great narratives, like, hey, XRP is going to run the world. Well, shit, that's going to drive a shit ton of speculation, right? So my point to you is, just be careful around people need to be very careful around this whole thing of speculation versus development versus actually utility zones. Because, you know, I think people, some people are going to be disappointed if utility doesn't go past speculation and that's just how this stuff works. So just be aware of that have an exit plan, take your profits, you know, some early on, but don't do what I did. Don't sell everything like Amazon, keep some of those bags for the future. So when these things do skyrocket, you can generate, you know, you're in a position to take advantage of it. Johnny, the BIS, the IMF, and now the Bank of England have all come out in support of central bank digital currencies this week. And we know that these organizations don't move in tandem by coincidence. But check out this latest article because I want to highlight this next conversation is going to be solely about one thing, how CBDCs are going to increase the price of decentralized assets. And this article highlights that perfectly. The digital pound should be interoperable with crypto, says UK lobbyists. Stakeholders also want the Bank of England to consider tougher gaps on individual digital pound holdings to prevent bank runs. So forget the bottom half of that article, Johnny. Let's talk about the top. When CBDCs are issued into the general economy, I think the first place informed investors are going to go is into assets. You're going to have one part of the community who gets their $1,400 check and buys Gucci shades. You're going to have the other one that goes and buys half of an Ethereum, right? So what I do think is that the fact that they're stating crypto and CBDCs not only should be interoperable, but the UK is saying they will be. This is a massive catalyst for us because when they issue CBDCs into the economy, many investors are going to go into assets. I'd like to hear your thoughts. Could CBDCs be a catalyst for decentralized assets? Well, that's kind of, that's a very good point. That's something I've always had on my mind is could, you know, what kind of impact would it have? And obviously if you're drawing demand, right, depending on what's, and this is why we don't know, Abs, we don't know what these rails are going to look like for the CBD system yet, but we're all hopeful that one piece of that rail will be XRP. Another piece of that rail might be quant, right? As, as you're building the foundation, the infrastructure of this. And I would think that, yeah, that the CBC is going to cause some demand and so of those, of those um, tokens or those technologies that could drive it up. I've always felt that, but it's still, let's see what the final system looks like, how it plays out, what kind of demand is drawn, what kind of, you know, maybe escrows are being held that take coins off the market that can drive the price up. All these different things factor into it. And none of us really know yet exactly how that's going to play out. All we know is we think there's some of these technologies that are going to make up that rail. And at this point in time, for me, one of my strategies is in making sure I've got some of those tokens that are going to make up that rail. But I do believe there could be some impact here, but, but I'm not sure exactly what that impact will look like yet. And that's, that's what to me is exciting. We have to keep an eye on that. Johnny, this is another detail out of that article. They're not only going to implement CBDCs being interoperable with decentralized assets, 
the Bank of England has proposed a ten to $20,000 digital pounds limit on holdings. So think about it. They're not going to be able to hold their tokens. It's going to have to go somewhere. And I'm calling them tokens. I guess we call it currency. They're not going to be able to hold their currency. It has to go somewhere. Smart investors are going to put it into real estate. They're going to put it into companies. They're going to put it into assets like crypto. So my question to you is, again, when we see this new flood of liquidity come in, is that going to be the catalyst for decentralized assets? I think it certainly can. You, I, I've been a big proponent and been saying it for the longest time, Abs. Liquidity is the key. We need liquidity. If you look at the last bull run, there was a $2 trillion of liquidity stuck into, fed into the market because of, of the C word. Now the question is, where is the next booster injection of liquidity coming from? Now, I don't think we're going to get the printing process turned back on again. However, what I do believe is something you talked about too, we talked about on the show is, as all of this, as regulation comes out, as BlackRock gets approval for an ETF, and maybe as the SEC gets a little more clarity, maybe we get some clarity on it, Ripple, or Congress puts some stuff out, all those things will lead to potential liquidity injections from existing money that's sitting on the sideline. The institutional money, the one, two, three percent cost basis that they've told Kevin O'Leary, hey, I want to put this into the space, but I can't right now. That, to me, is the next level of injection of liquidity that's just sitting there right now. It's just sitting there. It can't be. It can't go into that space right now. Exactly. Veteran crypto just kind of summarized what I've been saying. Enterprise will be the next injection. Institutions will be the next injection of liquidity. What would be awesome is if we could get the perfect storm. All right. So here's the Johnny Crypto perfect storm. If we had, for example, that regulation or clarity coming. At the same time when the having happens, so you get the Bitcoin having, you get some kind of regulation clarity. Maybe we get approval of a BTC ETF. We have hopefully the Ripple's case settled by then. Then you get the injection of the liquidity from these institutions. And then the fourth element is, you know, for some reason, the printing presses have turned on. You want to talk about a major blast of injection. Holy shit. You would have money coming flopping everywhere. You'd see a bull run like you've never seen before, Abs. Thank you, Johnny. And there's another aspect to this I think we're yet to highlight here. Ripple wants to integrate CBDCs with DeFi, decentralized finance. And of course, they're not going to be able to do this in the U.S. So they're going to a country like China in order to get this started. But guys, we got over 400 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button and check out this latest update as Ripple wants to integrate CBDCs in DeFi. But it begins in Hong Kong with a Hong Kong-backed CBDC initiative integrating tokenized real estate into Web3 lending. Johnny, tokenized assets are 100% coming to blockchains. So to see it happen in China to begin with, this is what Gary Gensler's main concern should be. It shouldn't be good, good actors in states. It should be good actors leaving the United States and ending up in these other economies. So what do you think about Ripple beginning the tokenization process in China? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I'm not going to do it here right now with the unclarity that we have and the regulation issues that it makes sense that, you know, somebody said it in the chat and it's so true. I've been to China. I've been to Taiwan. I've been to many, many places for world for work. And what I always noticed, Abs, it was amazing. I always noticed these other companies, countries, were ahead of us in technology. I'll never forget, I was out there, I forgot how many years ago. And like somebody went in there and was paying their bill with WhatsApp. Like you literally like, just wiped the phone and like, that was it, it was done. I'm like, wow, we don't have that yet. And then I remember there were times where, you know, when it was time to pay your credit card bill, this is many, many years ago. Um, basically, they would come to your table and you could you could pay right at your table. You didn't they didn't take your car and go away and bring it back. We didn't even have anything like that. And now you're just starting to see that. I'm starting to see that now. You know, if you're at a restaurant, you probably know they'll bring you the machine, you slide your card and they'll do it right in front of you. 
That was out 15 years ago. 15, 20 years ago, that was happening in Asia. That didn't happen here until recently. So my point is these countries are way ahead of us in technology. Just nobody knows it because most people just live here and never leave the country. But yeah, Abs, we've never been, we haven't been a leader in innovation and technology from that perspective on the cutting edge in a very long time. It's sad. Absolutely, guys. And I do love. uh, So my point is no surprise to see them, you know, again, doing it there in Asia. That makes sense and follows the trends we've been seeing for the past 15, 20 years. And so this is what's so exciting about the XRP price chart. We showed you that we've coiled up to a point where we are right about to blast off. It's catalysts like this that would create that price action, not just the end of the Ripple versus SEC lawsuit. James Wallace, the vice president for central bank engagement at Ripple, said that his firm is working on a project backed by the Hong Kong Monetary Authority to support CBDC-powered lending protocols, as well as tokenized real estate and collateral. You see these different elements of Web3 coming together, said Ripple. You've got the ability to tokenize your property and then actually take out loans against that using their DeFi lending protocol. Shout out to Coach JV. This man was calling it back in 2019. Unfortunately, it's beginning in China, but this liquidity would still come into the XRPL and many of our listeners would benefit. So real quick, how do you feel about this before we move on? Yeah, I mean, shout out to him for calling it out. Also, this would absolutely do that. And more importantly, Nexo was doing this. You were actually able to put your crypto on Nexo and then borrow against it. You know, you were able to, but again, you know, what happened? What did the U.S. do about that, Abs? They shut it down. They shut it down. Exactly. Crypto, we need, we, anyway, so the point is it's sad that you're, it's just not going to happen here. We will not be the leaders in it. We will be the, the followers of people saying this guy. One guy said in his ad that the, the machines in Scotland in 1990s. I'm not surprised. You know, we just we we always tend to be very slow when it comes. And that might be because when you're a king in the mountain, you know, when you're on top of the hill, when you're the champ, you kind of get complacent. And when you get complacent, you fall behind. And that's exactly what you're seeing. The U.S. is so damn complacent right now. It's like they're just sleeping. They're sleeping on the mount, just out. They're sleeping on the USA doing shit anymore in terms of innovation. It's just like, yeah, we'll just follow. Wake us up when you got something good and we'll just implement it. It's really, really sad apps. Last comment here on this Ripple article. We got an update from Stuart Alderati stating that Singapore has built a framework that truly unites customer protection, market integrity, and innovation. They've also outlined a clear taxonomy to classify and regulate digital assets, making it possible for companies like Ripple to build and offer compliant products What's so exciting about this is I'm sure we are going to see other countries follow suit. We're going to see similar tax codes. We may even see copies of what Singapore did. So this could be a major catalyst for global adoption, Johnny. There's a video I want to play for our listeners right here. We are seeing the de-dollarization happen around the world. And fortunately for our listeners, they know that everything is shifting digital. But for the average American or the average European, they're not aware of this shift. And that's what this man is highlighting right here. I'm going to play this brief clip and go to Johnny. Here we go. I think we're going into a period, we're going into a transition period. Well, there isn't going to be one single currency that is the reserve currency of the world. I think you're going to see, for a period of time, a lot of trading between nations, as you see now, where China will buy resources from Russia using the yuan, and Saudi Arabia is taking payments in non-dollars, right? So the, the dollar isn't being replaced, but it's being chipped away because there's, we'll call it a lot of side deals, right? You and I will exchange and trade using our local currencies or maybe some substitute in the future. So I, I think that's the, the, the mistake people think is you have to go from one reserve currency that dominates everything to another and that there isn't an in-between. 
Well, maybe there will be in the future, but there's an in-between stage. And the in-between stages are chaotic. When you move from a unipolar to multipolar and a one currency to multi-currency, and that's a time of chaos. And let's go back. That's when gold thrives. Boom. And with the announcement of Bitcoin ETFs, everybody who's followed Bitcoin knows it's often considered digital gold. I'm going to show you a price chart every single listener needs to consider right now. This is the gold price chart back before an ETF was approved in America. Look at the green line, guys. We went from about $400 to $1,800 from 2004 up until 2011. We're sitting there today. This is what we may see with Bitcoin. And sorry, Johnny. We got to, but, but we're in a situation right now where once these institutions come in and they start purchasing Bitcoin, the floor begins to increase. They're not going to allow it to go to those initial levels so they can take a loss. That's what I think we're seeing here. So I wanted to connect gold, Bitcoin, and the narratives all together. What are you thinking, Reto? Yeah, I mean, so so first of all, I love the Danielle Cambone show and since since uh, research, but that you know he brings up a very good point there in terms of you know when it's the safe haven for gold, and obviously what you're showing here is is a four x return, and no surprise, I would not be surprised if we saw a very similar thing happen with BTC, you know, over time. Because BTC is, but it's a little different, right? Gold was always kind of known as the real value of money forever. When it, when they invented this, when this came out, it wasn't like gold wasn't known. Gold had been money for five thousand years, or however long you know, humanity has been alive. So that there's no surprise there. I think when we look at BTC and how it's going to play in the future, and what that looks like and its adoption curve, somebody asked in the chat. I think it was uh, Erickson. He keeps asking, you know, what's BTC's role in this? And is it friend or foe to um, XRP? And the reality is, I, I, I don't think it's definitely, I don't think it's a foe. Um, they're kind of two separate things. I kind of always view BTC as, as kind of digital gold, right, Eric? And so we kind of see that's going to have its own place and its own area to play. Um, and I do believe that, as we've heard many, many times, you've, you, you know, and, we, and I love the video we played yesterday the guy describing how difficult it would be to hack into to Bitcoin and steal it, right? It, it, the way Bitcoin is designed, it's really, really designed to be truly decentralized apps. And I think what's going to happen over time when people start realizing the true impact or, of what it's like for a CBDC in play, that's going to drive a lot of people to say, oh, I don't want to be in that. And they're going to go to the BTC. And so you may see you know, some really significant gains in BTC as well. Some of it, as you're showing in that gold chart there in terms of what a, what an ETF could mean, because that's going to do two things right now. Talk to most people. Okay. And BTC is considered like fake internet money. Most people go talk to your friends and family. You call I got for, they to laugh at Bitcoin. They're like, that thing's a, that's a scam. It's crap, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is when you start to see, um, ETFs coming out on this stuff that brings instant credibility to it. Now that's number one. Number two, it now allows liquidity to enter into that market as well. And number three, it's got a futures market. So it's going to get freaking manipulated. Like you ain't going to believe and that son bitch is going to be shorted and then, and then, and then increased, you know, short long, and, and they're going to ride it all around. It's going to, it's going to follow the same thing of gold as trajectory. But to me, Bitcoin has all of that future to come. And that's why, to some degree, I'm bullish on Bitcoin. I'm not a maxi by any means. I don't have much Bitcoin. But I do believe it is here to stay. And I think you, yes, we can see some large growth. I think you're right. 
you can make that comparison and expect some good growth coming to BTC soon. Now, I'm not saying 10Xs, but 3 to 4Xs are probably still very, very possible. And Johnny, I love this question here. It said the global warming agenda is coming for Bitcoin. Remember that. And I guess it's a statement, no, no, no. not a question. Let me answer. I think it's very important because we saw it this week, guys. BlackRock changed their stance on Bitcoin by announcing this ETF. Not only did they indirectly adopt proof of work, they're coming out and creating a mechanism for institutions to buy this technology. What we quickly saw as a global warming agenda, we're seeing the opposite end of it now. The institutions who were criticizing uh, Bitcoin and blockchain are now the ones that are going to be backing these assets. So I just wanted to throw that in there. Floor is yours right now. Yeah, you're 100. So two things happening there. One, first of all, don't fall for the narrative. You're all falling for the narrative. Oh, it's proof of work. It's bad for the environment. We're going green. Stop. Guys, anybody in this chat knows already how the game is played. Forget the narratives. If you're listening to that narrative, I hate to say it, you're getting played. The narrative is out there. To t- As Abs always says, you show me the chart, I'll show you the news. All right, don't forget. Forget the narrative. Don't fall into this green energy narrative because if you are, you're, you're, you're going to get played. Okay, that's number one. Number two, you see Bitcoin. A lot of these miners have started to move into like, so Wolf just moved into nuclear energy, right? So they're using more efficient ways and green ways. To, and you're seeing solar systems come up to mine and do it. So you're going to see these miners moving to some degree as best they can to getting more towards a greener space. But the reality is abs, they're just going to use that narrative to play and swing it whichever way they want. Forget that. Look at what's really going to happen here. If inst- if they get this ETF, institutions are going to flow into it. 401k money is going to flow into it. There's going to be a shit ton of liquidity and it's going to drive it up and it's going to create, in my mind, instant validation for Bitcoin in the future. That's what I think. You can completely disagree with me. Abs, I'm curious what you think though. This is exactly what I think right here. We're showing a picture of what I think. I think a couple of months ago, people got together and they said, sue the uh, sue the willing participants in America. Go sue Coinbase. Go sue Binance. Go sue everyone who's trying to comply because the big money's moving in. BlackRock, JP Morgan, Citadel. We've got trillion-dollar institutions in Europe now announcing they're going to be doing custody services. So it's not just America. It's a global narrative. And what I love about Gary Gensler is the arrogance, right? The fact that this man thinks he can shut down cryptocurrency simply by his policy alone, it's very arrogant. We live in a global economy. The crypto market today is over $1 trillion. None of that is in America. It's in Bitcoin. It's in Ethereum. And all of those tokens, according to Gary, are decentralized, Johnny. So floor is yours. I love this photo. Every time I see it, I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, she's saying, hey, I left the questions on your desk with the answers. <laughs> remember, remember when they had when they had the meeting and she gave him the questions and the answers. That's just that's just that's what I remind. It's just what this reminds me of every time I see this photo. I mean, th- those two should just not be that close together. But nonetheless, we know we know that there's an agenda, anti crypto choke point, Operation Choke Point, anti crypto. We know that Gary is being the front runner to, to you know being told he's got to choke it out. And he's doing the best he can with the tools he has to choke it out. And, you know, and you heard, you know, you heard Powell. What was encouraging? You heard Powell say, you know, when they said that the, the thing is resilient. He's like, yeah, it appears to be. <laughs> like, you can't kill it. And I think. I correct myself here, Johnny. One of our listeners commented, I made a false statement. The U.S. government does own almost a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. And they've actually stated they're going to be dumping 200,000 Bitcoin throughout the course of 2023. Yeah, so- but okay, but let's just talk about that. A billion. 
We only got 10 seconds. What's the cap? Oh, shit. Yeah, the market cap's like 500 billion, right? So it's like one ten, one five hundredth is a very, very small number if you think about, wow, that was the fastest hour in crypto, Ed. Absolutely, guys. And we got oh, we got 357 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. We're going to see you guys in 23 hours. And like we always say, Warriors, ah, get the shit together, baby. Thanks for joining us. Let's go.